0: In today's video we will listen to Michael Ellis talk in one of his puppy classes at his school in California about fear periods in young dogs and how to deal with dogs that encounter things and people in the environment that make them nervous. This will be the first in a short series of newsletter videos that will explain how to counter condition a dog that's showing signs of nervous aggression lots of little puppies show their insecurity differently and as they get a little bit older uh their kind of hormones and maturity and things that so if i show a, pu- a puppy little might be just be kind of reserved or even a little bit avoidant but not bark and as they get older they get a little more like hey, assertive, and so aggression, or somebody does things like that that taps that side of them. The other thing is dogs go through little d- different developmental periods, and it's different for every dog, it's different for every breed, they're like we, these are really hard to define, but there are dogs that are going along perfectly, everything looks great, they look super happy, outgoing, and then they go through this period where they're scared of everything. And then if we go along and we just kind of stay, stay the course and do our training stuff the way we should, they come out on the other side and they're all better again, and it goes away completely, and you're com- totally fine. And they call these fear periods, and some dogs experience them and others don't. A lot of the behaviors, the Scott and Fuller studies, they tried to define those fear periods. So they say there's one at eight weeks, there's one at six months, like these things. But I find that not necessarily to be the case, right? So some dog may be super fearful at nine or ten weeks, and then again at six or seven months, and some other dog may not ever go through those. Some dogs seem super fearful when they're little, little, and then it just goes away forever. Other dogs are, look perfect until they're a year old, and all of a sudden they have this, this weird thing. And part, part of it has to be the environment. There are experiences that the dogs are having that we're not aware of all the time. Again, remember be, uh, behavior and, and personality is always an interplay of genetics and environment. And those things are always going on. Every moment of every day, your dog is learning things about its environment. And so there's gonna be a whole host of um, experiences that we're not aware of the dog having. Um, and so that makes it saying like, hey, is this a fear period just for the dog? Is the dog just getting a little weird here and are they gonna grow out of it? Or was it this experience strictly that triggered it? Um, Some, you leave your dog at home when you go to work, things like that, stuff happens. You know, if your dog's in the yard or your dog's somewhere like that, you know, God knows your neighbor walks, kid walks down the fence, dragging a stick along the fence, and <laughs> bang <it. laughs> you don't know that happened. Who knows, right? Those kinds of things happen all the time. So, um, and that's not an exact science. What I would say is like, having that stuff happen sucks. It, it happens. Um, but our prescription for, is going to be the same. Our prescription is going to be to get the dog out around as many people that aren't going to do that to them as possible and kind of rearrange their brain about new experiences. Dogs, people, whatever. And we want them to think that um, uh, uh, being around those things is good. Lots of good stuff happens counter conditioning our classic counter conditioning stuff, and the more you do that, the better off you're going to be now, if they have bad experiences in those places they're a setback that's why we want to kind of avoid the bad experiences, letting the dog explode and having somebody else yank their dog away and drag it off, uh, somebody else going like coming at your dog or barking at your dog, Stomp people like love, people love to kind of go stomp their feet at dogs and stuff like that like they're, they think they're playing and they freak the dog out completely, right those are all bad things with dogs that are edgy. Uh, and you can't rely on the general public to read signs well, so that means you've got to be kind of a step ahead of that stuff, right? But I would say for um, any puppy that's exhibiting, uh, uh, like territorial barking, barking at strangers, barking at other dogs, barking at noises in the night, uh, it's not that the barking is bad, it's that it's a symptom of them being unsure and nervous about these things. And so that's telling me that this dog's natural uh, response to something that makes it nervous is partially aggressive. So instead of running and hiding under the bed, they're barking. Same impulse, same underlying cause. Response is different, right? So my golden retriever very rarely does that as a response to those things. It doesn't usually get out at the end of the leash, hackle up, and start barking at something. It's just not their thing. Not that there aren't goldens out there that do, but that's not a common response for them. They would more likely avoid. They would act submissive. They would try to run the other way. They would say, ooh, God, scary dog, and they'd go the other direction instead, right? But it's all coming from the same place. And so that's something you file for yourself. You say, my dog's response to stress is a slightly aggressive response. So that means that down the road, if I'm not careful, that that dog's response to being stressed in some way could be biting somebody or another dog, right? And so now my job is to try to address the underlying causes of that and make the dog more confident so they don't feel they have to go there. It still doesn't mean that they're not gonna bite when they feel stressed. It just means it's gonna be harder, if we do our jobs right, it's gonna be much harder to make them feel stressed in normal everyday circumstances. And that's what we wanna avoid. Normal everyday things should not make you feel stressed. Somebody walking by you on the sidewalk another dog walking past in the parking lot. Those things are not things that you should be worried about. And generally, if your dog isn't crazy fearful, then uh, we can, in, in your puppies, like all of these dogs are, then you can make huge strides on that just by good proper socialization uh, and making sure that you're doing your counter conditioning work correctly, in general. Huh? Like a lot of those initial behaviors are always going to be when it first approaches too. So one of the best things you can do is when somebody comes into your house or when you go someplace with the dog is like if you and I were to meet on the street and we were doing it as a training op for your dog, I would come up and I would talk to you and I would completely ignore your dog. Right? I would walk straight up and I'd say, hey man, how's it going? And I would have a chat with you and I would not look at the dog, I wouldn't touch the dog, I wouldn't do anything. And that means the dog can be there like, who's this guy? I don't respond, nothing happens, I don't go away. He doesn't. He, the dog just says, oh, well, it's not for me. But if I come up and I go, hey, nice dog, and I look at your dog and walk towards you, now, all my energy is going directly at your dog. And your dog, that a dog that's uncomfortable, is not going to like that at all. So, if you come to me and you are talking and the dog is barking because so that's what it normally do. Yeah. So, ha- you're, ignoring it. you're ignoring it. Yeah. And then you, what you can do is for your dog is you can get another behavior. You, so, the, that person doesn't look at the dog. They stop. They stay there. You go, hey, knock it off. And then feed your dog for knocking it off, right? So, like the idea is people go, well, if you feed your dog in that space, you're feeding them for barking at the, at the person, right? But the truth is they, they're v- very unlikely. You would have a hard time rewarding barking at something there, because there's a whole state of mind that goes with that. Like the dog's unsure, so they're alarm barking, and you couldn't really be stuffing food in their mouth in a w- way that's timely, effect, in between barks, to actually reward that behavior. So if you can get them to turn away from that and take food from you, then really what's being rewarded is the shift in state of mind that happens there. So if a dog is really afraid or really worked up, they won't take food right? Because those m- mental states are mutually incompatible. So if I can interrupt it enough and get the dog to f- turn to, to look at me and I can feed it and it'll start taking food, then I'm rewarding the right state of mind. The dog switched off from that mode and into food acquisition mode and has now turned its attention away from this thing. That's gonna, what you don't want is for that person to go like, holy crap, dude, your dog right? <laughs> that's bad, right? That's what we do in agitation to make the dog want to do that more, right? So I come up and I go like this, and the dog barks, and I go, ah, and I run, and the dog goes, ha-ha, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And this person just stands there. It's a puppy. They just ignore it. Don't look at it. Don't respond to it. Don't move. You guys continue to have your conversation. The puppy relaxes. Once the puppy's totally relaxed, and it has gone. Then you say later, and you guys just pass each other and go on, right? Uh, if they won't eat, they're telling you they're really worked up, right? So, ne- uh, uh, take a toy is good, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, um, so anything you can do to redirect the dog out of that behavior, if it's playing with you, that's, that's great, you know? um, But if the, dog, if the dog won't take food, that's uh, one of those kind of first signs for you, saying like, okay, the dog really is uncomfortable in this cir- circumstance, right? Because if, if you were out normally and the dog was comfortable, like all the dogs in this class, so we'll take food, right? We don't have any dogs in here with very low food drive, right? There are dogs out there whose food drive is exceedingly low, right? You really can't do anything much with food with them. You can starve them a little bit, and at home and in quiet environments probably have enough food drive to show them how to sit down and things like that. But you're never going to get real-world benefit from food for certain dogs. But none of the dogs in this class at this point are those dogs. These guys all have good food drive. Like, they've all taken food out of my hand with good energy. I mean, they're not, like, they're pushing, they're taking it, right? Everybody in here has decent food drive. So if your dog is in a circumstance where they won't take food, that should be kind of your um, thermometer for how stressed they are by that situation. And what you'll do is you'll say, my dog got to a point 10 feet away from this person where I couldn't get it to take food. But if I moved out to 20 feet, would it take food? Yes, it would. Okay, cool. There's our, our range that we want to be working in. So now I want to take that dog out and get 15 or 20 feet away from different things and work with my dog. And then gradually I close that distance as my dog relaxes and I can get closer. And there are going to be, of course, like, like we, what we're talking about here is the issues of living with your dog and having shit that you didn't want to have happen happen, right? Like you were not planning to go meet a person, but boom, around the corner as I'm walking my dog, here comes a person, and they've got a mastiff with them. Awesome, right? So, like, so some of that stuff's going to happen to you, and the and you, it's it's unfortunate. And in those circumstances, um, you're going to do whatever you need to do to kind of get produ- get a productive thing out of it. Get the dog. Don't let the dog continue to rehearse it. Don't drag it slowly away from it. See if we can grab the dog, pinch the dog, run this way, come on, we're doing this, Do a, break out a toy, whatever you can do to get the dog kind of away from that situation, and then if possible, if the other person is cooperative, you move off to a distance and work with your dog until your dog settles down and decides that thing's not a threat before you leave, if you can. If you can't, if they're on their way, then they're on their way, and that was an experience we didn't want the dog to have, but we got out of it without bloodshed, it's all good, right? So we're better off than we would have been. Um, but Whenever possible, the best thing when you see those is to work around whatever the, the um, stimulus is that's making the dog uncomfortable uh, until the dog relaxes before you leave, if you can, without forcing the dog to directly interact. Right? So one of the things that uh, the people tend to do is, uh, uh, I call it like, a, uh, uh, the analogy I use is if you had a fear of heights and I stood on the edge of a cliff and said, hey, come here, take a look. It's, not, it's no big deal. I swear, it's fine. And you said, no, no, I'm okay. And I grabbed you by the arm and said, no, come on, come on. It's okay. It's cool. It's, I swear, it's fine. And tried to pull you over to the edge of the cliff to check it out, to make sure it was okay. I'm not going to make that better. I'm going to make it worse, right? You're going to be like, yeah, get off of me, right? And so the dogs are the same way. So instead of trying to force them up to directly deal with something that's making them uncomfortable, what you want to do is make them have good experiences around it, in proximity to it. <laughs>